This episode of Star Trek The Next Conversation is brought to you by our good friends at Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum in Hollywood. If you're in the Los Angeles area and you're looking for something to do with up to 10 people, but you don't want to spend over $100, guess what? You can do that at Ripley's. All you have to do is walk in there, head up to the counter, and mention Commander Riker's sexy new beard and Star Trek The Next Conversation for the Away Team Special. That's right. You can get up to 10 people into the Ripley's Believe It or Not Auditorium in Hollywood, California for $100. Believe it? Just believe it, because it's true. Here's the show. Podcast, The Final Frontier. These are the conversations of the friendship Matt Myra and Andrew Secunda. Their continuing mission. To seek out old adventures with contrived civilizations. To boldly watch episodes that one of them has watched before. Welcome to Star Trek The Next Conversation. I'm Matt Myra. I'm Andrew Secunda. Here we are. We're talking about Measure of a Man, one of the finest episodes ever committed to film. And I do say film because the show, she was shot on film. So you would say, was it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, it's Voyager that wasn't, right? I don't know. I think Voyager was not. I feel like Voyager was when they started using CG for ships. Uh Uh-huh. I feel like that might be video. I don't know. But you know who does know? A lot of our listeners. And they're going to tell us. I look forward to it. Um... We are just having all sorts of sounds happening all over the place here, so bear with us while we record. We're in uh, my house, as as, as per usual, and uh, we're getting some interference that I can't quite pin down. Nothing's different. Our phones are in airplane mode. I mean, it's classic Trek. It could be. There's something going on on the ship. We've, and we've tried rewriting power through the secondary coupling. We've tried out. doing a cold start of the engines. Nothing's working, so... Bear Brian's just shrugging his shoulders. Brian doesn't give a shit. He's just the chief of uh, transporters. He isn't. He doesn't be Jordy. Jordy probably would be uh, on the case. Yeah. Maybe we get Wesley over there helping out. Anyway, um, so you would say to the to the wonderful, lovely listeners that they should watch this episode, of course. Yeah, I would say that for sure. Um, and the reason I would say that is that the episode is canonically very important dory just popped in and out well i was trying to be a professional podcast i I mention it but i like to talk about things that are happening around me (laughs) (laughs) oh boy it was like a she was like a a squirrel running in and out yes a short-haired squirrel an adorable squirrel um i think it's an adorable haircut it is take a look at it go to dory's instagram at d-o-r-e-e to see how the missus of me does Instagram. Matt's brain is melting down a little bit. He's got a lot of stuff on his plate. It is not melting down. It's melting up. Andy, what's going on? You want to hear about the nice people who have given us five stars this week, Matthew? Oh, that sounds like an Admiral's Club situation to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
Andy. Bro blew it right off the top. Just I forgot to plug in. Completely. And now we don't have any idea if it's going to be soups loud or not loud. That should be fine. Here we go. go to yeah, that's good. We are still getting some something. Uh, some kind of feedback. Whatever the case, uh, the Admirals Club this week is started by uh, Admiral James, Michael James Mann, who says, Matt brings the data, Andy makes up the lore. Matt and Andy have the perfect blend of obsessive pop culture love that makes the man want to go boldly go with them each and every week uh, on the best ship in the fleet, friendship. Yeah, that's us. Thank you, Michael. Um, I just want to be in the Admirals Club from PCB311. I like the show, Ellipse. Uh, there you go, PCB11. You're in. Uh, as a matter of fact, everyone who leaves a five-star review on iTunes is in, uh, whether you're read on the show or you're not. Then we hear from Bob X 5 Data is messing with the pitiful humans. A delightfully sweaty mashup of nerdish intensity and Sisyphusian dread, at least until season three. Yet Myron Secunda soldier on, bickering and bantering all the way. Ain't it the truth? Andy's mistakes and theories are usually infotaining, as is Matt's Rain Man-like mastery of all things Trek. Fan or non-fan, Star Trek The Next Conversation is a fine way to spend a morning on the treadmill or enduring any rush hour traffic jam. And lastly, <laughs> we hear from Daffodil6, who says, Best cuckoo bird podcast <laughs> of the galaxy. Wish you had more friends nerdy enough to do deep dives into the Trek universe with you. Wish granted. Thank you, Matt and Andy. And then we had a lot of United Federation of the Planets president circle. This is out of control. We, we don't solicit, but yet they keep on coming. Somehow they're they're donating to us at sttncpod at gmail dot com, which is allowing us PayPal. to uh, eventually. My goal is to have us have a set of equipment that exists at the Goldberg's office and exists here, so that we can be ready yeah. to go at the drop. Hopefully, have of mics a hat. all set up. That's the drop of a hat. That sounds it was like a just snap. me snapping. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Adrian Gudas, welcome to the President Circle. It's Gudas to have you, Adrian. Uh, there you go. You got a little pun for free. Um, he sent us fifteen dollars and sixty four cents. I don't know. I don't know what the significance is of these numbers. Uh, they're always a little bit off. I assume they're deep cuts in some way. I don't, um, if you if you note them off Matt, the top of my head, I do not know. I love all the work on the STTNC podcast. It's such a wonderful way to start the week. Thank I've enjoyed you. every single episode immensely, and always look forward to more. Thanks, Matt and Andy, for the fantastic look back at the show. Keep it up. Matt Ellis sent us $23.75. Matt and Andy, I'm probably one of the rare people who are into fishing podcasts and Star Trek podcasts. About as rare as an encounter with the Breen, which, by the way, took place in 23... Oh, that's... He's explaining it. 2375, <laughs> when the Breen attacked Earth, San Francisco. Oh, uh, that's true. I didn't know that. Was that... What is that in? Deep Space Nine. Oh. Coincidentally, there is uh, a fishing lure color called Breen, combo of brown and green, which is sometimes hard to find in stores. Uh-huh. Breen is uh, rare in both worlds. Enjoy the show. Keep up the great work. And lastly, Evan Selinski sent us $52.03. 
a lavish gift from wow. Evan. Wow. Hey, you guys have come a long way from recording in Andy's tile and glass-lined echo chamber kitchen. Yeah, it's true. Here's a little thank you for the ride so far. And now hoping that professional editing doesn't suck any of the dumb chaos away from the show. Well, wish granted on that one already, Evan. Evan in New York, one of my compatriots from New York. And that is the Admiral's Club. Yeah. And that was the Admiral's Club. Thanks, everybody, for uh, participating in this magic. I didn't know if you wanted to. What, uh, what, other, what, other, what other things we got going on? <laughs> you can never tell when you want me to tee it up or you don't want me to tee it up. But, Matt, it's try- time to see if uh, we have any incoming hails. Oh, boy. Captain, we are being hailed. Which we do. Um, our first hail is from Ben. And he says, okay, Brian Thompson is my favorite Klingon of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the sweet-ass alien, alien assassin from the X-Files. That's true. He, uh, you can use a cattle prod on him. In um, the X-Files CD-ROM game. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's really, oh, he's uh, really a major thing, huh? I, I had a great time with that game. One of my favorite games of all time. He also says, uh, I think it would... This is a clip that he sent, but I couldn't find the Brian Thompson moment in it. So I don't know. I jumped all around, and I'm not going to play it. Uh, but anyway, thank you for the clip, Ben. He also says, I think Thompson would have made a great saber tooth. Aaron Smed. Oh, he would have made a great saber totally tooth. Totally true. Yeah. That's a fucking brilliant call, sir. Uh, Aaron Smed uh, sends the simple comment, more snark theater. Many people have been very positive on the snark theater, so if you decide you want to slip into the chair back at, what's the shipyard called? The um, something Planitia. Oh, Utopia Planitia. Um And, and uh, open another snark theater, uh, Matthew, feel free. Um and then Steve, um, mm-hmm. who got the, mm-hmm. the Gmail um, Winterfell. So good job, Steve. <laughs> um, uh, I've been a huge uh, Game of Thrones fan. This is on record. Um, I've been thinking a lot about all the discussions you've had about worst behavior in the early seasons. Mm-hmm. You talk a lot about how volatile he is at the drop of the hat. This seems contradictory after seeing the display of Klingon behaviors in A Matter of Honor, which I think we commented on. Their demeanor is presented as having a basis in honor. I think Worfs are too, but their actions make logical sense for the situations they're in. My theory is that Worf is like an overcompensating teenager who has immersed himself in what he thinks a Klingon should be. He's read the books. Oh, that's interesting. And knows what that's a true Klingon is. Very funny. And actually. it's something that I think he says, I can't help but envision Worf as a pimply goth teenager clad all in black. Um, hold up in his room posters of Kang and Kor on the walls with him reciting Klingon poetry. And I've thought this before, actually, that where does it come from? Is he, you know, overplaying it? Because that's what you think a Klingon is. It's, uh, I think it's on point. Um, then, uh, great show, you guys. You should rewatch the part of A Matter of Honor where Worf shoots the Klingon captain. Watch what Data does. And, uh, and with him helping figure out the cure, data should be the MVC. So we have a lot of MVC issues to address this week. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot happening last week, and I think the 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 the, the, the O'Brien of it all. I feel like uh, not rather the uh, 
this oh, that's showing a, Matt this this they he sent us a um, screen grab of Worf shooting uh, and he's Cobra kinda, Command. It's kind of funny because see what see what Data. Yeah, Data's jumping in front of him. I mean, Data jumps in front of Picard in this image as soon as Worf. But of course, Worf is super quick on the draw. Um, so let me just uh, cover some of these other things. Uh, we also heard from Brad Arrington, um, our uh, lieutenant commander, who is taking care of tracking the MVCs and making wonderful charts for us. Um, and he had said, personally, I think it's cleaner that you either agree on one person for the MVC or split the vote 50-50 and each pick an MVC. Starting to make multiple-way uh, splits dilutes the value of the award. I know that can be hard if it's a good episode, but I think the constraint actually makes the discussion and ultimate MVC award much more interesting. He also says, I was tickled that you gave me the honorary rank of lieutenant commander in a tweet a while back. That was my dad's rank in the U.S. Navy. Um, and I kind of... Hey, we, we've had a couple of comments. Service, certainly. Uh, we've had a couple of comments about the MVC and not splitting it too many ways. So mm-hmm. maybe we should go to either. We both give them this. We both give it. We both agree or we both disagree. And it's each one point. How do you feel about that? I don't feel great about it. I, in fact, I, I think that having to split the diff on everything makes this a more exciting podcast. You're saying into fractions beyond yeah. 50-50? Yeah. All right. Well, Brad, I'm sorry you've been overruled. <laughs> Brad, if, you, if you've got a problem with math, I'm sure we can get someone smarter to help. <laughs> Whoa. This guy is hes spending a lot of time making up charts every week. I do not concur with that sarcasm, Brad. Brad, Andy told me to say that. that he wrote it true. out. I have it I on did, a piece of paper yes, right they, here. Luckily, it's a podcast, so Andy, that, Andy, that, Andy, that does not you, prove you wrote anything. wrote it on this piece of paper. That is just fully. You said, Matt. <laughs> He's just, say this. He's making sound it's effects horrible. with a blank piece I, of paper. I said I don't want to say this, and I I first crumpled it up like this. This is a sham. And then I threw it across the room, <laughs> and then Andy handed me another piece of paper that said, Matt, please insult as many of our listeners as possible, especially Lieutenant Commander Ranked. I just took a picture of him holding a blank piece of paper to illustrate they that I had nothing to do with this. see what's on my side. <laughs> Whatever the case, uh, we are going to split it several different ways. I'm sorry, Brad. <laughs> and uh, beyond that, uh, I do think that we had another several comments, and this I think is a, a, a an interesting take, which is we were kind of giving it Riker weight last week as the MVC because he was so amazing in that episode, a matter of honor. But he was not a crew member on the Enterprise at the moment he did all that stuff. You as brought, many you brought up that. Out. You brought up that point yourself oh did i last week you did oh and we just decided screw it (laughs) i decided screw it oh all right there you go it's been addressed (laughs) many many points were brought up and everyone decided to just continue on as we were doing um we heard from matthew kirk who uh um am i peeking no no i just wanted to make sure that i'd hit record i forgot that would be a perfect thing for you to have done today i'd cry um Matthew Kirk, who uh, who organizes all our This Day in Trek uh, um, notations for us, mm-hmm. um, he said, Greetings, sentience. Just wanted to chime in on the alternate TNG theme you played last week, which delighted me. Uh, the opening seven-note theme was actually by Alexander Courage, the original uh, TOS theme composer. That... I knew. When Goldsmith's theme from the motion picture was chosen as a replacement, the two themes were Frankenstein together to create what was now... Uh, what we now know and love is the TNG theme. Who gets royalties? That's a really... I assume they both do. Well, that's what I want to know. Um, hey, Matt and Andy. We, 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 
are the probably the Star Trek podcast that asks the most questions about who's getting paid. Yes, <laughs> without question. <laughs> um, but people do seem to enjoy it. I think. <laughs> do you I think like they like the inside show business talk? People do, especially about the the character payment stuff. People are really engaged in those issues. And one one person, I'm sorry, I don't remember who was saying. Um, maybe I can find the thing. Uh, what's the name of the last episode? Uh, all matter of honor. No, no. Uh, of oh, the, all good things. All good things. Um, had said basically, it's a there's a some kind of callback to where where um, where Picard names O'Brien in an encounter at Farpoint flashback. So is that uh, here? It is. Uh, it's from Brian and Andy. Regarding the discussion about uh, Chief O'Brien, oh, who's that's melting my brain. The series finale names uh, Colomini's character as O'Brien. Would this be a retcon? Oh my god! Would that change who got creating for him? That's an amazing <laughs> fucking god. If Brian I was, if I'm Rod Roddenberry, Rod, if you're listening, <laughs> your dad's owed a bunch of money. I think. <laughs> Um, but uh, I don't think it works that way in the WGA. Um, are you kidding me? That fucking you could have some sort of hearing and then present that as evidence. I'd be like, this is clearly Chief O'Brien has illustrated. Here is from the season, the series finale. Yeah, here he is being named, and it's it's insane. I, I'm just saying, maybe. Um. <laughs> I would love to bring that in front of the WGA just to uh, just them. to see their <laughs> their reactions. <laughs> Wait, what? What are we spending time on today? <laughs> we got to get back to to writing our what's the name of their thing? Written, written by. by. <laughs> we all make fun of the writers' room. We're written by. Well, listen, it's a it's a great thing to recycle but honestly i really enjoy uh, reading uh, those interviews and i would love to be featured someday written by <laughs> for all my fine staff I work cannot <laughs> picture a more entertaining article for written by <laughs> now um, andy when you lost creative control of your sitcom loving what did you feel <laughs> Um, I was, it was a combination of rage and variation. Now, Andy, when you went over to the Goldbergs and you weren't at the level you thought you'd be at, what were your feelings? Um, it was a little bit of sadness. There was uh, self-hate. Now, uh, uh, Andy, now that you're an EP on the Goldbergs, you must be making a billion dollars, right? Uh, not as much as you would think, actually. <laughs> um... All right. Uh, Ken and Carrie says, after coming late to the SDTNC party. You know what would be party, a super funny thing for you to do? Or any, for it, anybody to do on the show? It wouldn't be. No, on the show. It would just yeah. be very funny if you <laughs> were constantly trying to create a new character. <laughs> like we send you out with outlines and they come back with this. <laughs> like with, not with this nine new characters. With this fucking like, cousin all of a sudden <laughs> that's on the show. Uh, it's, believe me. <laughs> I usually only think of it in retrospect. I'm like, is that a new character? <laughs> <laughs> um, after coming late to the SDTNC party, I finally caught up with all your wonderful episodes. Still, there was one terrific unintentional witticism that passed by cruelly unnoticed and unremarked. Uh, this is from an old episode, but mm-hmm. many, many people had commented on it. And so since this person did call back to it, it's in the Data Lore episode. And uh, he even was nice enough, which is why I'm going to play it, send us a, um, a clip 
of the soundbite of this moment. Here we go. It's when LaForge comes back to the bridge after having looked at the crystal entity. It's the scene when Wesley snipes at Lore. <laughs> so it Wesley was, snipes at Lore. Wesley snipes, and we did not comment on it. And almost everyone I, of our listeners sent an email or a tweet saying, Wesley snipes, why didn't you say anything? <laughs> so there you go. I accidentally said Wesley Snipes. <laughs> Guys, you got me. <laughs> um, Ken and Carrie and C also had commented, I was reminded when you started talking about Christopher Collins at the as the Klingon Captain Cargon, you had to play this YouTube clip and think of it as Captain Cargon um, talking to his crew. Um, we discovered that he also, Chris Collins, played this memorable character. Now stop sputtering like a wet toaster and get busy! When the Dominator is operational again, we shall seize control of the world! Stop surrendering and listen to me! It is too dangerous, Commander! There could be dire consequences! There will be dire consequences for you if you do not obey my orders! I kind of agree. Uh, almost exactly the same. Um, Matt, I know it's getting long, but we have a couple of prime correctives also. Oh, that's all right. All right, here we go. Time for a retrospective, because truth is our objective. It's a prime corrective, because Matt and he got it wrong. Um, whether they're wrong or not, you will be able to determine. Um, one of them is a... Uh, is a Mac issue um, because we were talking about the age of my MacBook, which may account for probably not too many of the issues that I have, but some of them. Um, and uh, and we were told the MacBook, MacBook Air, and MacBook Pro all still have the headphone jacks and will for the foreseeable future. And that's from Thomas, who refers to himself as annoying asshole. Oh, uh, cool. <laughs> Um, no dispute from the ex-Mac genius, Thomas. Well, listen, um, you know, some days you just sort of uh, let it all go out of your head. Uh-huh. Uh, and so essentially, that, when I walked out of that Apple store for the last time, everything was gone. Fair enough. That doesn't stop people I have from a say, I have the, the I was In my voice memos, I have the stand-up set I did the day I had gave, given my notice yeah. at the Apple store. Was it a good day? It was a good set. Yeah. It was very. It was pretty fun. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't have a lot of good sets, but that was one of them. Did you leave because the uh, Nerdist podcast was doing well, or you just were like, "I'm done"? What did I leave to do? I left to go do Attack of the Show. Oh, okay. There yeah. you go. You had a writing job. Yeah. Um. Hey guys, uh, this is regarding Chief O'Brien. The Irish name Colum is pronounced with two syllables. Colum. Basically, take the name Colin and change the N to an M, or oh. just like the word column. Colin Kirk meaning. Brownage, Brownridge, Ottawa, Canada. Thank you, Kirk. I will now, from now on, call him Colin Meaning. Yeah, I thought that was uh, an interesting thing. I don't think anyone I know calls him Colin. Well, yeah, we do. It was a long one. I apologize. Uh, oh, it's fine. We, it's a good episode, so there's not a ton to pick apart. Uh, that is true. I was commenting earlier that I was looking at my notes, and I don't have that many notes. So the question of what's going to happen to this show when the show starts getting awesome, uh, we're going to start to see. Uh, Matt 
It's time for this day in Trek history. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an episode that aired, Andy. February 13th, 1989. That's right. And for the second week in a row, U.S. and U.K. audiences were listening respectively to Straight Up by Paula Abdul. I think we're by the way, this is her tap dance interlude. The, the dainty. Oh, really? Yeah. Fun. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. Uh, Something's Got a Hold of My Heart by Mark Arnold, Amund, and uh, Gene Pitney uh, was still on top in the UK. Dean Koontz's Midnight was still a bestseller, and Rain Man was finally dethroned, oh wow, by The Fly 2 at the box office. Well, who wasn't excited to see The Fly 2? I didn't see The Fly 2, was it? Me either. (laughs) What the hell? That was a number one at some point? Stable orbit of the first GPS satellite was achieved. That's interesting. Ayatollah Khomeini issued a fatwa targeting Salman Rushdie and the publishers of the novel's Satanic Verses. I, don't, I thought at the time we really didn't even think he was going to survive. But boy, has he thrived. Investigators announced that the crash of Pan Am Flight 103 had been attributed to a small bomb hidden inside a Walkman cassette player. And the Time Magazine cover... Uh, was the new administration the Velvet Hammer with Secretary of State James Baker. He's a gentleman who hates to lose. And he writes much like Admiral Kirk. Hmm. Very true. We're just going to hear the song until we're until it's over. Just kidding, everybody. Although, I, you can play it during my... Thanks, Andy. Uh, the Measure of a Man... This is production number 135. Uh, as we heard, it aired the week of February, of February 13th, 1989. That's Valentine's Day. Who knows what Andy was doing for that Valentine's Day. A young, virile man probably had four or five dates that day. Or I was alone <laughs> watching Old Trek. Start at 425-23.7. This was directed by Robert Shearer and written by Melinda M. Snodgrass. Data's rights as a sentient being are questioned when Commander Bruce Maddox, a cyberneticist, wants to disassemble the android to make duplicates for Starfleet. When Maddox seems uncertain of his ability to reassemble Data, the Enterprise's second officer refuses to submit to his experiment and resigns from Starfleet. But that resignation is not is made moot when Maddox gets a ruling that the android is Starfleet property under a 300-year-old law. Picard is ready to tackle the decision in a court of law, but the insufficient legal staff at the new Starbase forces him to argue against Riker as Data's defender. On top of that, the base's judge advocate general, Captain Philippa Louvois, is an old flame of Picard whose zeal in handling the USS Stargazer inquiry years before split them up. Riker warned to do his best to see a summary judgment in Maddox's favor dramatically proves that his second officer is just a machine by removing one of Data's arms and then turning him off completely. Picard is all but conceded until Guinan helps him see that Maddox's plan for an army of androids without rights would be amount to would be would amount to slavery. Confident again, Picard successfully argues that all beings are created but not owned by their creator. Later, he and Louvois agree to a dinner date while Picard data assuages Riker's guilt for taking part in the prosecution's case. 
Andy, you look very confused at your computer monitor. Is it the description? Did you not care for it? No, I thought it was a, it was a fine description by a friend, Mr. Larry Nemechek. Star Trek The Next Generation Companion Revised Edition. Everybody head out there and buy it. Here's our captain's log. Captain's log, stardate 42523.7. We are en route to the newly established Starbase 173 for port call. Crew rotation is scheduled, and we will be offloading experiment modules. Hold it. No, that's my chair. Oh, you're hearing a tease of the first poker game of many we will see in Star Trek The Next Generation. May I ask, what are they... Um, what are they playing with? Is there no money in the future? How does it work? Uh, they're playing with uh, chips. But, but I mean... Oh, I know what you mean. Okay. It's a, the, the economics of Star Trek are vague. Yeah. Uh, you know, they buy things like an encounter at Farpoint where Crusher buys reams of fabric. Right. Um, they say that all money has been uh, abolished. I think maybe within the Federation there's no money, but they're paid some something. So if, if Matt Myra... Yeah. Is uh, is uh, is on board? Is a member of Starfleet? Hey, whatever rank he is. Hey, fellas, what's up? And let's uh, go to ten forward. And he's, I'm going to order some ice cream with no calories. Thanks, replicator. He's asking the uh, computer to uh, you know set alerts for him when left-handed guitars uh, show up. Uh, theoretically, did I? What does he do? Pop quiz. Did I or did I not buy a guitar while we were talking? I would and say recording. As if I know Matt Myra, the answer is perhaps more than one. Yeah, <laughs> just one. Uh, right. Uh, what do I do is your question? I like, guess what I'm I saying is it, there is a certain um, um, almost Ferengi-like nature of acquiring the guitars, but they belong to other people. So how does that situation work in the future? I think you barter. You barter. Yeah. Although, I mean, it seems like there's credits. Let's just pretend that they get they get a salary. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Maybe Chief O'Brien makes the most. All right. My luck is always lousy unless I start the dealer's right. That would seem to be superstition. Now, better experience has taught me it's a fundamental truth. Okay, the game is five-card stud. Nothing wild, any of This game is exceedingly simple. With only 52 cards, 21 of which I will see... And four other players, there are a limited number of winning combinations. There's more to this than just the cards, Data. Of course. The bets will indicate the relative strength of each hand. Time to pluck a pigeon. <laughs> Data is not good at poker. No. Which we establish here when Riker bluffs him off of his trip queens. Yeah. By representing a flush. Oh, uh, no. The noise is bad. I bet ten. You're ten and ten? Ten what? Mm, good question, Andy. I bet ten things. Three queens with an ace and a four. Versus nothing. Is that what is known as a poker face? Did he have nothing at all? Are you playing or not? Riker? Yeah. No, he had four to a flush. Huh. He had four hearts. I fold. So, I have many questions. Yes. Not many. Ahead. I have two questions. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, he did it. Data has one of Riker's outs. 
What do you mean? Data has the ace of hearts. Oh. Is that what is known as a poker face? I just want to see Data's hand again. Are you playing or not? Just because, you know, everyone else wants to know what Data has. Go ahead, Andy. Well, this is question number one. He looks at his cards a second time. <laughs> Even though he can probably see it in his data bank, um, so to speak. Can't tell if that's the four of diamonds. So Queen of Hearts. Data has two of his outs. Wow. The Queen of Hearts and the Ace of Hearts. So my question one is, is this just back to my theory of Data just messing with them? Because why is he looking at it? Is it an affectation? I think he watched a lot of poker, played a lot of poker in the holodeck, and uh-huh. learned learned how to play poker. Well, this leads me to question number two, which is, in all that research, didn't bluffing come up? Uh, it probably did, but he probably was uh, busy. Makes very little sense that <laughs> when you get a but I did win. <laughs> so you call. <laughs> How could you tell? Instinct, Ada. Instinct. The game is seven card high low with a buy on the last card. And just to make it more interesting, the man with the axe takes off. Does that mean that jacks are wild? Here's the deal. What is man with the Why would she... Off? You can't ch- just change games mid-orbit. They've played one hand. they got to uh-huh. go around the table at least once. Okay. Although, I wonder if it's like dealer's, dealer's choice. They're probably playing dealer's choice. Is that unusual? Whoever's dealing gets to choose what the game is. That's fun. Is that unusual? It's not usually... No, I'm going to bring it up, though, on Tuesday. Dealer's choice. See if we can play dealer's choice. Whoever's got the dealer button chooses the... <laughs> seems like that would just be chaos wouldn't it sure especially when you're playing ridiculous i find um star trek poker to be the most ridiculous poker because it is so they're playing crazy games they're playing seven card stud jacks are wild they're playing five card stud nothing wild they're playing seven card stud one arm fucking i've never heard that term one man with the axe takes all what does that mean Wild cards seem to me to be... Wild. Insane. They are. Like an insane aspect of the game. Um, my last question about the 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 um, poker is, um, a la Moriarty, um, wouldn't Data be able to read every single one of Riker's micro-expressions? Just I mean, like it depends seven. on what's he, what he's programmed with. Is right. he programmed with that? I don't know. I don't know. Let's ask him in a court of law. All right. What is that sound? It's out of control, whatever that sound is. We're sorry for it, everybody. Philippe Lavoie. I'm back in uniform. It's been ten years, but seeing you again like this makes it seem like 50. And if we weren't around all these people, you know what I would like to do? Bust a chair across my teeth. After that. Oh, ain't love wonderful. They're flirting. They're weird. Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, this lady is strange. And Picard is acting strange with her. I am in charge of the 23rd Sector JAG office. We're brand new. I have Jag no staff, office. <laughs> that you pick up, but you miss Wesley Snipes. <laughs> well, somebody else said it. Anything is possible. So you came back to Starfleet. Still the most worthwhile place to be. You had no reason to leave. They forced me out. Hmm. No, that was your own damn stubborn pride. 
When I prosecuted you in the Stargazer court-martial, I was doing my job. Oh, you did more than your job. You enjoyed it. Not true. A court-martial is standard procedure when a ship is lost. I was doing my duty as an officer. Isn't the Stargazer... That's his ship. ...still available? For what? Like, didn't the Ferengis bring him the Stargazer? Yeah, but the court-martial would have happened before that. I know, but the ship was lost like literally it wasn't blown up it was just misplaced then i think she had every right to prosecute him if you lose a starship like literally lose a starship and go i can't find it i don't know where i parked it but what didn't they think that it was gonna blow or something or burn up burn up or i don't remember but i'm sure our prime correctives will remember it does it definitely seems I would love to know more about what that court martial was. Was it in the in that episode? Was it like was the implication that he was really in serious trouble when that happened? I thought he was sort of the bridge was on fire. Remember? Yeah. No, I mean with uh, with Starfleet. What are you talking about? When he lost the Stargazer, was he in serious trouble with the Stargazer? I don't know. We never saw that. I, and yeah, I guess I'm just wondering what was implied in that episode. Me too. That's what we're doing together. We're both, but we're going to get prime correctives that will tell us the answer. That's why we're not going to fret about it. All right. Someone out there is nerdier than both of us. It's hard we to love believe. You. We love you. You're acquainted with Captain Picard? Oh yes. We're old friends. Excuse me. Picard, call me. You can buy me dinner. It's like the least sexy Captain flirtation of all time. Admiral. May I present Commander Bruce Maddox? Commander? He has an interesting proposal for you, but that can wait for a while. I'm eager to see the Enterprise. Yes, sir. This way. What do you think of Bruce Maddox? Uh, you know, not a, not a fun guy. <laughs> I, love, I love the way he walks on the bridge here and I fucks Data. Oh, I'm going to take you apart. I'm going to rip your ass right apart, buddy. As you know, we've had disturbing news from both sides. We're here to respond when needed. And it won't hurt to have the Romulans know that we're nearby. Data is acting like he's being stared at. For 500 years, every ship that has borne the name of the Enterprise has become a legend. This one is no different. Admiral. Ah, yes. Uh, Captain, Commander Maddox is here to work on your android. Please take care of him. <laughs> what do you think of the ominous music? It's really, they're really leaning on it hard. Um, I think I know what the problem is, actually, with our sound right now. What is it, Matt? I think it's this plug-in I have for my EQ. Hang on. And we're back. Andy, you were going to tell me something about our lovely Admiral. Um, Clyde Kusatsu. Yeah, he appears again. He does in Phantasms and All Good Things, uh, uh, which is apropos since we mentioned it. And he also apparently auditioned for the role of Quark in Deep Space Nine. Oh. And uh, he's one of these guys, very interesting looking at the, the, the minor characters in this show because they're right smack at the end of the 80s so they like span usually from the 70s to the early 2000s minimally just interesting seeing actors having such 
storied long careers. Even though they never make it big, they still survive and are journeymen, and it's really interesting. Um, and he was in L.A. Law and uh, MASH, just everything. Um, one that jumped out at me that I'd completely forgotten about was We Got It Made. <laughs> Do you remember that show? No. It was a show about two guys who get a sexy maid. <laughs> that is the only plot of the show. <laughs> I think played I by Terry Copley. Officially <laughs> love that show. It's just so great. Wish it existed. Yeah. Uh, wow, that sounds terrific. Um, all right, Andy. So, uh, what, are you, what were your reactions the way they were talking about data? Um, in the as a viewer in the courtroom scene or no, in right the, here, like in here when they say, "How have you been, data?" My condition does not alter with the passage of time, Commander. I like that data's already a little defensive. Yes, I evaluated data when I first applied to the Academy. And was the sole member of the committee to oppose my entrance on the grounds that I was not a sentient being. What exactly will this work entail? I am going to disassemble data. All right. Explain this procedure. That would have been a Ever much better fact ender. Yeah, yeah there, there's I some weird missteps there. I became a student of the works of Dr. Noni and Soon, Data's creator, and I have tried to continue his work. I believe I am very close to the breakthrough that will enable me to duplicate Dr. Soon's work and replicate this. But as a first step, I must disassemble and study it. Data is going to be my guide. A lot of this, it, and him, no him. And I feel like Picard would have called it out. Yeah. Yes. Had the story required him to do not do so. You know what I mean. Yes. Like, if, if they wanted him to, script-wise, call it out that early. Right. Um, I guess what I'm saying is the character we've come to know as Captain Jean-Luc Picard would have called it out immediately. Yeah. Is there a moment at the beginning an encounter at Farpoint does Picard already see Data as a sentient being? I'm trying to remember that. He's already completely. He's already been convinced. Lieutenant Commander in Starfleet. Right. You don't just you don't just get there willy-nilly. Uh-huh. You know? Unless you're uh, aboard a marquee ship and so it's just you and Voyager stuck in the Delta Quadrant. Then all of a sudden, yeah, sure, come back to Starfleet, everybody. You'll be a commander, but we won't really call you a commander. And you'll be in charge of Starfleet engineering, and it'll be great. It, it, the, the issue is uh, that it sounds like they already had this, this, this issue. You know, He was already trying to prove he wasn't sentient when he was up for Starfleet. And they yeah. put him in Starfleet. So yeah. did they decide he was sentient? And they were just like... But that's he the thing. They didn't put him in Starfleet. He willingly joined Starfleet. I think the legal argument—they allowed the him legal to be argument in here. Though. I think is foolish. They allowed him to join Starfleet. The yes. legal argument for why? Uh, I think the precedent of him, whether or not he was sentient, was already set when they gathered that committee of, to allow him or not allow him into Starfleet Academy. So part of the part of the issue probably would have been. And I think this is, look, overall, brilliant episode, so well written, so much, really, I think even even out of all the episodes we've seen, the most 
like the best of old school Trek in terms of a very clear thematic approach right. and development yeah. and, and attacking a big issue in a very smart science fiction way. Um, but I guess I got into a little bit like you're doing now into the little bit of the, the legal nitty gritty of it and whether it sort of was satisfying in that way. And I think it, it disappointed me a little bit in that way because even like the stuff you're saying, like, well, if you've already been accepted to Starfleet, mm-hmm. Isn't it impossible for you to be Starfleet property? You've been right. accepted as a person right. or a th- or some kind of yeah. being. So that's like issue number one. And I thought that could have been something that he had t- approached. And I, I feel like, I know I'm jumping ahead. but Even the, like, I mean, I guess what we were looking for is some sort of uh, legal loophole dialogue as right. to why this did not apply. Anymore. A little bit more of a dissection legally because it's such an yeah. interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever see the show? Uh, Cent- is it Century City? Or something no. like that. It was something that took place in, Cent- in Los Angeles in Century City, what? where there are a lot of lawyers in the future, and it was future legal cases. Again, um, we've got, really it, we've got it made, and Century City seem like things that should be on television now. Um, it was. It was, or should never have been made. I think that you would be interested. In, I remember one plot was a guy had built something. I don't. I don't. It wasn't a bionic arm, but it was like a bionic eyes or something. And he was a pitcher in the major leagues, uh-huh. and so there was a debate whether he was allowed to remain a pitcher because he was was using bionics. Sure. Um, so there was stuff like that. Um, and uh, this, I thought, would have been like a really interesting. There's no crisis in this episode other than this, huh? Pretty big crisis. Anyway. Well, the crisis is is internal, though. I mean, it's, it's not a crisis for the crisis. future of Starfleet's conscience. It's, sure. But yeah, I, this I think might that... might be the greatest crisis of all. That, in the end, is what I find a little bit um, unsatisfying, is even though that thematic issue is incredibly chilling, and the, and the conversation between him and Guinan is really... Um, it's terrific. It's just really like, oh, yeah, that is what that means. It's really, like, mind-boggling. In the end, my feeling is, and I could be wrong about this, that wouldn't hold up in court because that's a moral perspective that is obvious to us as human beings but doesn't prove anything legally. It feels well, like Picard also, kind also of just... Also, it could not be proven that he did not have a conscience. Well, this is what I'm saying. So they had already said he was an individual when they let him into Starfleet. Right. right then whatever that loophole law is saying that he's Starfleet property. Right. But then is negated by the fact that in court, the person who says he is not sentient and his property could not prove that he is not sentient. Well, it does raise also the question of where's the burden of proof. And I guess the, would the burden of proof have been on Maddox or on data? I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer either. I really do kind of want to revisit this with a lawyer at some point. So if you're I'll a lawyer, I will just ask fucking Melinda Sangrass. She wrote it, and she's a lawyer. Oh, that's right. <laughs> By the way, as a side note, I don't know if you read into the uh, the background on this. Maybe it was in a different Star Trek book. I read it. She wrote this as a spec. Yes, she was not a professional writer at all. And George R. R. Martin, to bring back uh, Game of Thrones again said to her you should write a next generation spec 
and she wrote it and then the writer strike happened and then um, they were desperate for stories and so they dug into the slush pile of, of spec scripts they were ignoring and they were like oh this is great let's do this mm-hmm. and then th- the rest is history or her story I don't know if that's appropriate use of that right now. <laughs> a full diagnostic on data, evaluating the condition of its current software. I will then dump its core memory into the Starbase mainframe computer and begin a detailed analysis of its construction. You've constructed a positronic brain? Yes. Have you determined how the electron resistance across the neural filaments is to be resolved? Not precisely. That would seem to be a necessary first step. I am confident that I will find the answer once I examine the filament links in your anterior cortex. But if the answer is not forthcoming, your model will not function. I do not anticipate any problems. You seem a little vague on the specifics. What are the risks to commander data? The shot of the observation lounge with the space station in the background is actually pretty great. I believe his basic it's amazing, and I'm also say the uh, this, the effects of the the Enterprise docked at the at the uh, sure. base is it's really good really to see regular one cool. back in action. Is that the based on what I've heard model for space station regular one? Oh, is that what that is? Where the Genesis is kept? Yeah. Oh, I was nice. afraid this might be your attitude, Captain. Here are Starfleet's transfer orders separating Commander Data from the Enterprise and reassigning it to Starbase 173 under my command. Data, I will see you in my office tomorrow at 0900 hours. What a prick. He sure is. He's not a... He's an effective villain. Um, I actually had uh, two... You had to what? I had two um, hails that were incoming. <laughs> I don't get to use the incoming hail sound. And I'm trying to find it. Um, but uh, that I thought were appropriate. But you know what? Keep going. And when we get to the Guinan scene, we'll talk about them. Okay. Yeah. I understand your objections. But I have to consider Starfleet's interests. What if Commander Maddox is correct? There is a possibility that many more beings like yourself can be constructed. Sir, Lieutenant LaForge's eyes are far superior to human biological eyes, true? Mm Mm-hmm. Then why are not all human officers required to have their eyes replaced with cybernetic implants? The old cybernetic implant trumpet. <laughs> I know it well. Precisely because I am not human. That will be all, Mr. Data. So Picard seems pissed off when he says that will be all, Mr. Data, but I guess he's pissed off. He's at, pissed off at Starfleet. At Starfleet. Which is pretty awesome. I love the way he flips his tiny computer around. Pull all relevant information with regard to Starfleet regulations of the transfer of offices. Working. Love so it. I love this too. Um, I will ask, and I love that that Picard is like that. It is almost scary that he's like, oh, he seems like he's enraged at Data, but he's just enraged at the ramifications. Um, 
However, is Data's argument sound? He's saying, what is, what is his argument? His argument is that you could replace everybody's eyes with cybernetic eyes, but some of those may not work, and thusly that person will be blind. Is that what he's saying? Or is I he saying so. everyone should everyone be forced to use these eyes, these, these cybernetic eyes, because no. they are superior? I don't think so. No? I think that Data is making a point of humans' ability to say no to some procedures. Right. Because of the danger they might pose. Or is he saying that they can say no to some of the procedures... Oh, is that what it is? That would make more sense. That's All right, what I'll I accept thought that. it was. Or I thought it was just like, are they able to refuse it just well, because it's Sounds not, like Matt's standard defense right there. Because it's the not how they want to lead their lives. Matt's standard defense. Yeah, yeah. what you got there? <laughs> you were in a sour mood. <laughs> My God. Twice in as many days. I need your help. An historic moment. I have been trying to make sense of this gobbledygook, but it's beyond me. I'd like to point out that she's not looking at a computer. There are no screens in her office. She was literally sitting at her desk, waiting for someone to enter. Maybe she was meditating. <laughs> yes, my Android officer, Data, is being transferred compulsorily to be made part of a highly dangerous and ill-conceived experiment, and I want it stopped. He can refuse to undergo the procedure, but we can't stop the transfer. Once this Maddox has got control of data, anything could happen. I don't trust that man. We agree to certain risks when we join Starfleet. Yes, acceptable risks, justified risks, but I can't accept this. It's unjustified, it's unfair. He has rights. All this passion over a machine. She's being a total dick here. This is important to me. Is there an option? There is always an option. He can resign. I see. So you came to me for help. Oh, Jess. Yes, I came to you. So irritating. You're the JAG officer for this sector. I know JAG officer. To to you. Wait. I didn't mean it that way. I'm glad you felt you could, well, come to me. Well, you are Jagoff. Hi, Andy, you did it. I did it. I didn't use that one. You did it. No, I thought that was overplaying it, what you just You're did. You're underplaying it. I was doing it yeah. great. I was making great Jagoff jokes, and then you made a terrible one. Data packs up and decides to resign from Starfleet. He sure does. But then we find out that, no, Data cannot resign from Starfleet because he is property of Starfleet Command. And that is the property of Starfleet Command trumpet section. Sure is. Captain's log supplemental. Commander Bruce Maddox, having been thwarted by Data's abrupt resignation, is now seeking a legal remedy for his woes. Captain Lavoie has requested my presence at those discussions. Your response is emotional and irrational. Irrational? You are endowing Data with human characteristics because it looks human, but it is not. If it were a box on wheels, I would not be facing this opposition. Overt sentimentality is not one of Captain Picard's failings. Trust me, I know. 
You always got you always got a needle. Yeah. Really wow. got to bring it back Remember to that. I'm I'm totally unconvinced that anything physical ever happened if between I'm them. By the way, make this experiment the horizons for human achievements become boundless. Consider every ship in Starfleet with the data on board. Utilizing its extraordinary capabilities, acting as our hands and eyes in dangerous situations. Look, you're preaching to the choir here. Why don't you get to the point? Data must not be permitted to resign. Data is a Starfleet officer. He still has certain rights. Rights, rights. I'm sick to death of hearing about rights. What about <laughs> my right not to have my life work subverted by blind ignorance? That's so Wait, irritating. Subverted. You're looking for a shortcut. Yeah. That's not subverting. You totally are. You're looking to stand on the shoulders of another of a giant yeah. and 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 say, "Look, look what I did. I pulled apart this guy's work." That's like me getting angry cuz they won't NBC and Paramount won't let me reboot Frasier. <laughs> I have great ideas for Niles. Let me reboot it. <laughs> rule of law in this federation you cannot simply seize people and experiment with them to prove your pet theories thank you now you're doing it data is an extraordinary piece of engineering but it is a machine if you permit it to resign it will destroy years of work in robotics starfleet does not have to allow the resignation commander who do you think you're working for starfleet is not an organization that ignores its own regulations when they become inconvenient whether you like it or not, data does have rights. Let me put it another way. Would you permit the computer of the Enterprise to refuse a refit? That's an interesting point. But the Enterprise computer is property. Is data? Of course. Why? He's a Starfleet <laughs> there officer. There may be law to support this position. Then find it. There may be law. A ruling with such broad-ranging implications must be supported. Philippa. I hope you will use the same zeal that you did in the Stargazer Court Martial. Then Data gets presents. For his for his oncoming death. <laughs> <laughs> You'll soon be executed, Data. Here you go. Alright, let's pop back and see how this is gonna go. Um unless you have something. Nothing. I just uh, Maddox is it, his he's so clearly making emotional decisions and a lot of the arguments in this episode are emotional and i wish they weren't i kind of feel like i uh, i really like this episode uh-huh. i'm not gonna say i don't but i i think it would have been more accurate or more what weighty weird, what a weird choice of words more weighty uh-huh. to uh, have Picard make his speech, have it do nothing, and then have to win Data's freedom based on some a obscure dance contest, some obscure legal a loophole. Uh, loophole that's kind of just like, oh, the, that's the you know some Starfleet regulation or something, because that would have been more accurate to the law. I think I, I disagree. I think that's a TV writer's mentality right there. I think that's someone looking for you know a dramatic play out that has the twist and i and i don't think you need that with this episode i don't think i was looking for the twist i think i'm looking for a satisfying like legally authentic feeling solution but i don't think you're looking at it right i think we're looking at this as uh, human beings in the 21st century with a legal system that is currently what it is we don't know what 
24th century law is. Well, if the argument is that a 24th century law... 24th, 24th, yeah. If the argument is that 24th century law is more advanced, this doesn't seem more advanced. It seems very haphazard. Well, maybe it's one of the few things that they went backwards on. Maybe someone got elected who wanted to undo all of his predecessor's advancements. And that person is also a JAG officer. It's Matt's theories. (laughs) Exceedingly difficult. This is a new base. I have no staff. He's really smart. Surely, Captain, you have regulations to take care of such an eventuality. There are. I can use serving officers as legal counsel. You, as the senior officer, would defend. Very good. And the unenviable task of prosecuting this case would fall on you, Commander, as the next most senior officer of the defendant's ship. I can't. I I won't. Data's my comrade. We have served together. I not only respect him, I consider him my friend. When people of good conscience have an honest dispute, we must still sometimes resort to this kind of adversarial system. You just want me to prove that Data is a mere machine. I can't do that because I don't believe it. I happen to know better. So I am neither qualified nor willing. We're going to have to find someone else. Then I will rule summarily based on my findings. Data is a toaster. Have him report immediately to Commander Maddox for experimental refit. I don't believe that they still have toasters. <laughs> Good point. They refer to um, I, I also Cylons think, as toasters. As far as the archaic uh, word of law in this, like it is such a bananas law that the senior officer must defend. Yeah. And the second most senior officer must prosecute. Well, that's definitely a writer's solution. And then the solution. third most fucking the third most senior officer is on trial. Right. That's definitely a writer's solution to keep everybody we we care about involved. Ridiculous. Micker? Your Honor, there is only one issue and one relevant piece of evidence. I call Lieutenant Commander Data. Mm-hmm. What are you typing there, Typey? I want to bring in a lawyer at some point to look at this episode. Verify. Lieutenant Commander Data. I could have asked my um, brother-in-law, who's a constitutional law professor at oh, UT. That'd be great. Uh, and uh, love Star Trek. What? Have him come on next week or have and, him comment. Uh, um... Yeah, I just didn't. You never expressed to me the want to actually have a lawyer on because I had not Could seen this episode. It, well, we you've seen it for a week. You've known. Oh, you are in such an ornery. You mood. have known about it. Ugh, Andy, I'm going to prosecute you. Uh, I have to. The most senior member of the podcast must uh, defend. So that mm-hmm. would be me. You have to get Dory to do it. And, uh, Wait, you're going to defend me? Or you're yep, gonna... I have to defend you. Wait, you're the one who's it's the law. Me. I'm sorry. This makes no sense. I have to now defend you. And uh, you must prosecute yourself. You're the second most senior member of this crew. All right. But uh, I feel like uh, all, right. all my arguments are all right. Well, listen. I think Andy really 
uh, can't be blamed for not having told me that he wanted a lawyer because perhaps it, it just didn't come up uh, in his mind. On the other hand, uh, I, don't I have all the time in the world to prepare for this podcast compared to you? And I mean, I have no life outside of the show. Oh, Shouldn't boy. I just... Uh, the <laughs> podcast audience must rule. That was a little snark theater for you. Enterprise. Starfleet Command Declaration for Valor. And Your Honor, we'll stipulate to all of this. Objection, Your Honor. I want this read. All of it. Sustained. Valor and Gallantry. Medal of Honor with Clusters. Legion of Honor. The Star Cross. Proceed, Commander. Commander, what are you? Super cool. <laughs> An android. Which is? Me. Webster's 24th Century Dictionary, 5th edition, defines an android as an automaton made to resemble a human being. An automaton. I'd like to thank the Webster family for still being in the business of Seriously? making dictionaries. <laughs> they, really, they really stuck it out made over the centuries. Sir? Who built you, Commander? Dr. Noonien Sung. And he was? The foremost authority on cybernetics. More basic than that, what was he? Human? Thank you. I rest my case. <laughs> what? what? The... Wait, Riker. <laughs> what no, you're not doing a good job. <laughs> uh, so Riker obviously pulls Data's arm off. Yeah. Uh, and then turns him off. I don't. And this is also described by Picard later as it was devastating. And it's sort of like. You know, you could go up to a, a human and just give them a, a tranquilizer and have them pass out. Go, he's been switched off. It's like it doesn't really prove anything. Well, you could also set a phaser to stun and do it instantly. That's well, that would be a very violent. Thing Your Honor, court, court may I use my phaser? <laughs> um, what are you going to use it for? <laughs> I'm going to show you that this human is merely a machine. <laughs> There's the human is a machine song. No, that's the... Uh, Pinocchio is broke. Data's off switch. Yeah. Orchestra. Right. <laughs> its strings have been cut. Like, I know Riker had to do a good job purposefully because this was just the way the regulations were and he, you know... Right. <laughs> Did he have to sit and craft that line? Did he have to make it so dramatic? <laughs> Did he have to sit there and go, what am I going to say when I turn him off? Yeah. Wait a minute. It's this is going to kick ass. By a man. And now, and now a man will shut it off. It seems like he hits the button a little higher on his back, whereas it, it was originally was on his side. Its strings have been cut. Um, Andy talked over Riker's line again. Uh, I think the inconsistencies in all of Data's ports, uh, access points, um, like data transfer space, sometimes it's in the back, sometimes it's in the back of the neck, where his emotion chip goes, it's all over the place. There's no consistency throughout the series for that. And it is a little annoying as a viewer and a nerd. It's almost like he doesn't really have all those ports. Wait, what? <laughs> He's just a dude. <laughs> I'm just a dude in the world. Guinan. Well, you've got the harder argument. By his own admission, Data is a machine. That's true. 
Like they're both drinking coffee and no one's in else's intent You're worried forward. about what's going to happen to it. Tells me it's late. I've had to send people on far more dangerous missions. Then this should work out fine. Maddox could get lucky and create a whole army of datas, all very valuable. Oh, yes, no doubt. He's proved his value to you. In ways that I cannot even begin to calculate. And now he's about to be ruled the property of Starfleet. That should increase his value. In what way? Well, consider that in the history of many worlds, there have always been disposable creatures. They do the dirty work. They do the work that no one else wants to do because it's too difficult or too hazardous. And an army of data is all disposable. You don't have to think about their welfare. You don't think about how they feel. Whole generations of disposable people. He's talking about slavery. I think that's a little harsh. I don't think that's a little harsh. I think that's the truth. But that's a truth that we have obscured behind a comfortable, easy euphemism. Property. But that's not the issue at all, is it? Uh, great performances across the board here. Definitely. Uh, Hoopai doing a great job. Yeah. Pronouncing her the way uh, Worf pronounces her name in the comic relief clip. Hoopai. Hoopai. What is a hoopai? Um, Whoopi's doing great eyebrow acting without having eyebrows. That's the true mark of a great actor. No, she's great. Uh, and Patrick Stewart's being patrick stewart i mean this is a a lot of great performances in this episode it's great performances they're really throwing them fastballs for them to hit out of the park it's really uh dialogue wise the only one swinging and missing is louvois that's true which was also a poor character and then not really a great performance either um they were just going for a weird romantic thing with Andy Sickburn. <laughs> beep, 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 pew. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that was that sick. <laughs> More of a quiet comment. Um, but, um, you know, I don't know. It, it's interesting because then, in, then it's like this is the big moment of like, oh, Riker has made the argument. Look, he's a machine because I can turn him off. But it's like, yeah. does that prove that he's not... He's at, We already know he's machine. Does that prove he's not sentient, that you can turn him off? Mm-hmm. And then the big revelation moment here is what could possibly happen in the future, which is chilling, that it would be an army of slaves that well, they're creating. Well, which is what happens to the Doctor in um, Star Trek Voyager. Uh Remember, he meets the... Talking about the last season? I didn't see the last season. Well, the EMH program becomes obsolete. Oh, right. And uh, they yes. send all the EMHs to mine. Oh, I think you're talking about an episode I haven't seen. They send all the... Well, I'll spoil it for you because it's like well, deep in why? season seven of fucking yeah, Voyager. But I don't... I, I want to save the last season. Whatever. They send all of... Oh, this is the really first upsetting. <laughs> I can't believe you're spoiling it for the audience. EMH1. Ah, wow. This audience has seen it. Uh, to mine 
planets. Uh, it's a good episode. It's got um, it's got Barkley in it. It's funny because as you're talking about that, I did wonder why that had never come up before. Um, so, and the maker of the holograph, hologram, who is also played by Robert Picardo, is uh, sick. And uh, <laughs> they always do a little hat tip to uh, humanity's egotism <laughs> that the the, uh, the creator of it always looks like the guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, really good episode. Recommended. I'm trying to think of the name of it right now, and I can't. I can't think of the name of it. Whatever the case, my main point Barclay's is in it, and so is Troy. Deanna Troy is there to counsel them. The slavery issue, while chilling, <sighs> doesn't again what. Oh, my dad is texting me from Florida Does in the midst of the hurricane. Oh, how is he doing? Uh, tornado warnings popping up right now. Are they, did they move in, inland? No, they're, well, they're in, they're in Orlando. They're inland. Is that, is that thought to be safe? Mm, I mean, it's not, it's not, certainly not on the coast and that's good, but there's, they do, he's just telling me there's tornado warnings popping up in Daytona and popping up. I'm sorry, buddy. Anyway, what thing were you going to say that was so important that you had to distract me from my father's death? Well, the thing that's more important than your father's safety is that in this episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, um, the argument that Riker makes is that uh, I've turned this guy off, therefore he's not sentient, which doesn't hold up to me. Then Picard has this revelation about the slavery thing, which is obviously incredibly important morally, but legally, unless you've proven that data has sentience, the ramifications of what you do with other datas doesn't hold up. And I don't know that he proves that data has sentience at the end. He just says, what if he has sentience? Yeah. Is that an argument that would hold up in a court? I think so. What if he has sentience? Yeah. That's not a proof of anything. What are you going to be looked back upon if you do this? Yes, you're heightening the ramifications, but you're not. But it's. I think well, you're forgetting the, the rest of his point. argument, though. What's the fact the rest that of his he argument? keeps these keepsakes, the fact that he has a Tasha Yar, the fact that he keeps a book, the fact that he keeps his medals. I agree you're with missing that. Missing all of these other things. I'm not missing them. You're not He's, saying what part of he the does argument all those is things. persuasive. You're just talking about the last statement he makes. Yeah, but he does all those things prior to. Um, feeling like he's been backed into a corner and isn't going to win. So, why would this no, he slavery realization change? He does it here, in the, this part of the story. Yeah, but the, he doesn't the, do it before. Doesn't the stuff with the keepsakes happen no, earlier in the show? It doesn't happen until now. Oh, all right. And then I stand corrected. Play my standard defense. I don't know if that's a standard defense. That's an unusual defense. Dramatically demonstrated to this court. <laughs> One of us watched the episode <laughs> in his car. It's a machine. I watched it. Do here. we deny that? No. Because oh, yeah, you're it's right. not relevant. We two are machines, just machines of a different type. Commander Riker has also reminded us that Lieutenant Commander Data was created by a human. Do we deny that? No. Again, it is not relevant. Children are created from the building blocks of their parents' DNA. Are they property? I call Lieutenant Commander Data to the stand. She's always got a side smirk, this Louvois. She does, and it's very inappropriate. That's like her choice. Much of the time. 
these? My medals. Why do you pack them? What logical purpose do they serve? I do not know, sir. I suppose none. I just wanted them. Is that vanity? And this? A gift from you, sir. You value it? Yes, sir. Why? Tell me how much you appreciated it when I gave it to you. Friendship and service. Would you say it was one of the all-time great gifts? If you had to say, who gave you a better gift? Maybe no one. <laughs> Your Honor, <laughs> the defense rests. <laughs> Oh uh, wait, um, are you? What are you trying to prove there? <laughs> that I was a good gift giver, and that you should have slept with me. And this, you have no other portraits of your fellow crew members. Why the question? Mm-hmm. This tiny hologram. Yes. Is it Denise Crosby or is it a double? Because they didn't want to pay Denise Crosby. Correct. <laughs> I think it's her. I think it's a double. Really? I do. Let me see. I gotta come around. Sorry. Uh, I think it's her. Well, that would be so cheap if they really just put a sim. It does. Wait, we never see a close up the whole time. Though. No. <laughs> it's really impossible. It's not her. That's so messed up. <laughs> you think Hurley's gonna pay for her? She I left. don't. She left. She's gone. I don't need her. Get get that girl down in accounting. She kind of looks like her. Put a wig on her and get her in that uh, hologram. Get her in the hologram. I would prefer not to answer that question, sir. I gave my word. Come on, bro, bro. Tell us what happened with Tasha Yar. I think Tasha would mind. She was special to me, sir. We were. Intimate. Picard high fives Data. <laughs> Picard, I like how Louvois looks over to Riker like, did you know this? <laughs> you guys got to lead with that next this time. This is a spicy case. Thank you, Commander. I have no further questions for this witness. Commander Riker, do you want to cross? I have no questions, Your Honor. Thank you. You may step down. I mean, none relevant to this case. I like how at the end they uh, have the you know data saying that he's having the they're having a party on the holodeck. Yeah, like it could be anywhere. They could make that party anywhere because it's the holodeck. It's what do you think the party's like? Oh, I wonder. <laughs> That's fascinating. Oh, that would be great. You know, why aren't there holodecks, Matt? <laughs> it's like oh, we're having the party on. Hey, should we have one of our birthday parties next year? On a holodeck? We all get friends to get VR sets and we're all like standing around doing something. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. How do we eat? I don't know. Our hands, have somebody our hands will be holding us. our fake hands. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we could do fake fights at the party. Oh, what a time. Hold to the stand, Commander Bruce Maddox as a hostile witness. Oh, shit. Calling a hostile witness. What were you doing with that shiffer robe, Bruce? Verify. <laughs> Maddox. Bruce. Commander. 
current assignment, Associate Chair of Robotics. They notably Based don't make them swear on a Bible. Major papers. Yes, yes, yes. They're just proving their identity. An expert. Commander, I know. is your contention that Lieutenant Commander Data... If I was right, I'd object and say, let's hear it. We got to hear Data's service record. Let's hear Commander Maddox's service record. Got a C in science and uh, biology. No, no, I, <laughs> I, I changed my mind. Look at no the time. extracurricular activities. Not a sentient being, and that we're not entitled to all the rights reserved for all life forms. D-plus in cybernetics at Starfleet Academy. <laughs> this federation. Data. Father runs Daystrom Institute. Data. All right, we've heard enough, we've heard enough. <laughs> I think you were right to not. Uh, oh, boy. That is, that is one thing I really like, is how quickly Data um, is like, oh, Okay, let's talk about this. Oh, you don't know the, the basic yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, clearly this guy is just a douche who's... Some real it. nepotism there. <laughs> well, would you enlighten us? What is required for sentience? Intelligence. Self-awareness. Consciousness. Prove to the court that I am sentient. This is absurd. We all know you're sentient. So I am sentient, but Commander Data is not. That's right. Uh-huh. Why? Why am I sentient? Well, you are self-aware. Ah, that's the second of your criteria. Let's deal with the first, intelligence. Is Commander Data intelligent? Yes. It has the ability to learn and understand and to cope with new situations. Like this hearing. Yes. What about self-awareness? What does that mean? Why Why am I self-aware? Because you are conscious of your existence and actions. Do you think you the echo was put in in post? And your own ego. Or it was live echo. Commander Data, what are you doing now? I'm taking part in a legal hearing to determine my rights and status. Is that and not always there on a ship? And what's at stake? Hmm. My right to choose. Perhaps my very life. My rights. My status, my right to choose. My life. Oh, it seems reasonably self-aware to me, Commander. I'm waiting. This is exceedingly difficult. Do you like Commander Data? I... I don't know it well enough to like or dislike it. But you admire him. Oh, yes. It is an extraordinary piece of engineering and programming. Yes, you have said that. Commander, you have devoted your life to the study of cybernetics in general. Yes. Most of it. And Commander Dave in particular. Yes. And now you propose to dismantle him. So that I can learn from it and construct more. And make myself famous. How many more? As many as are needed. Hundreds, thousands if necessary. There is no limit. A single data. And forgive me. Commander, is a curiosity. A wonder even, but thousands of datas. Isn't that becoming a race? And won't we be judged by how we treat that race? Now tell me, Commander, what is data? I don't understand. What is he? A machine. Is he? Are you sure? Yes. You see, he's met two of your three criteria for sentience, so what if he meets the third? Consciousness, in even the smallest degree. What is he then? I don't know. Do you? Do you? 
Mm-hmm. Do you? Well, that's the question you have to answer. Your Honor, a courtroom is a crucible. In it, we burn away irrelevances until we are left with a pure product, the truth, for all time. Now, sooner or later, this man, or others like him, will succeed in replicating Commander Data. Now, the decision you reach here today will determine how we will regard this creation of our genius. It will reveal the kind of a people we are, what he is destined to be. It will reach far beyond this courtroom and this one android. It could significantly redefine the boundaries of personal liberty and freedom, expanding them for some, savagely curtailing them for others. Are you prepared to condemn him and all who come after him to servitude and slavery? Your Honor, Starfleet was founded to seek out new life. Well, there it sits. Waiting. You wanted a chance to make law? Well, here it is. Make it a good one. That was his equivalent of a microphone drop. Yeah. I mean, it's just great drama and it's uh it's really really well written and well performed and uh weighty uh but i don't know i still like his argument is that he is self-aware because of his description of what's going on around him so i guess technically that's self-awareness but that's not what's implied by the term self-aware he could have just been programmed to look around him and analyze what's going on is could be the argument okay obviously we know based on our experience with data that he has something more than what uh, maddox is seeing him as well he has wants and desires that's one right he has a desire to keep keepsakes he has a desire to become more human he has the want to not be dismantled he has look out for his own safety but the safety thing could be a programming issue i guess it's a question of when you're programmed to have all those things at what point is it why? sentience i'm just so confused as to why you're arguing against i just feel one of like our dear friends if we disassembled him one and of our, made a lot one more of our them, mvcs we would be able times over. to you know just advance humanity how so much How faster. How does that advance humanity, Commander Andy Maddox? <laughs> you know, we could have them make us, you know, omelets whenever we want it. First of all, it's a what about a replicator? Yeah, but there's a there's a there's a touch, there's an art that only Data would be able to get to. Would you rather wait at the omelet station or just have a replicator make it? <laughs> um, you know, I want I want my own personal data. Oh, uh, what stuff. is a 24th century buffet like? Um. Anyway, uh, it's really great drama. There's no argument about against that. Um, I mean, do, you, uh, do we have to play anything else? I mean, that's the only thing that I would play is around the uh, 43 mark. Is there? Fun? Oh, you know what? Did we even play? Because we already got tweeted about it. Um, her comment of saying he's damn sexy man. Because we should play that. I think it's around 6:15. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did we play that? I have no I don't, idea. I don't think we did, because it would have struck both of us. 
you always enjoyed the adversarial process more than getting at the truth. Well, I hope that you've learned a little wisdom along the way. You know, I never thought I would say this. But it's good to see you again. It brings a sense of order and stability to my universe to know that you're still a pompous ass. And a damn sexy man. Yeah, we did not play that. <laughs> I don't regret not playing it. You know, it's the most funny thing about that is... Uh, How it's just, delivered? To, well, that is certainly weird. Um, it's so interesting. They would pick a woman who communicates the least amount of sensuality to um, Patrick Stewart <laughs> to be his romantic interest from the past. But um, also that that uh, Picard's response is just completely blank. <laughs> like he can't process it. To me, supports that he's the theory that he is. Picard is never engaged with a, another human. Picard is sexual level. Borg. Um, and then go to the end with the uh, around 43 when it's their final scene together. Refuse to undergo your procedure. I will cancel that transfer order. Thank you. I have no career now. And Commander, continue your work. When you are ready, I will still be here. I find some of what you propose intriguing even though you're clearly incompetent he's remarkable you didn't call him it what a dead air you see sometimes it does work You buying? It's not clear how our money works, but sure. (laughs) Sure. I have poker winnings of seven. Also, I can just go to my ship and get whatever the fuck I want. There was a celebration on the holodeck. I have no right to be there. Because you failed in your task. Oh, God, no. I came that close to winning data. Yes, sir. I almost cost you your life. Is it not true that had you refused to prosecute, Captain Lavoie would have ruled summarily against me? Yes. That action injured you and saved me. I will not forget it. Does he mean it injured him by having to emotionally endure it? Or that it hurt him to lose the case? No, I think it's the enduring of it, Mm -hmm. Andy. Okay. You fucking robot. I just feel like we could really be advancing ourselves by taking this guy apart. Oh, boy. Um, you know, the other thing that it kind of raises that I assume is addressed in many other, and I think was in original uh, series episodes, is um, say they get over whatever this hump is and they figure out, oh, this is how a cybernetic brain works. We can just make as many as we want. Haven't we reached the point of the singularity then of where these people where these artificial intelligence beings will just replace us 
that's what the Borg are. Well, the, yeah, but the Borg is the Borg is uh, they're they're sort of creatures mixed with the. Uh, that's why I didn't like the Borg Queen mixed with machines. They're sort of presented as machine-like, but they're not. They're not just machines. Yes, but they are a singularity. They are unified. They are collective consciousness. Well, I'm talking about the the term, the singularity, I believe, refers to the moment when artificial intelligence becomes... Self-aware. Right. Data. Why are you coming at me so hard? Because I feel like you're really aggressively trying to take Maddox's side here. I'm really... Might be because you look like him. I'm just... Look, I'm happy to pay, play the Weasley villain in any cool project anyone <laughs> has out there. But in this case, I'm not talking about Maybe that in Star issue. Trek Discovery, they'll have a, they'll have a, they'll have a James Maddox, Bruce's great-grandfather. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Who's a real dick. If any of them are listening, please put me in Discovery as, as James Maddox. Um, the... Um, the I'm actually arguing on the other side now, which is I'm saying sort of the same thing that Elon Musk is. <laughs> Me and my good friend Elon Musk is yeah uh, is always talking about, which is just at that if you make a bunch of datas and they're all basically superior to us in most ways, aren't we obsolete then? And it's like, you know, at what point is humanity replaced? Is just the question I'm raising. Um. I don't know. I recommend everyone download the episode of Make Tech Human, where I talk to artificial intelligence experts, uh, you know, giants in the field, uh, about just this uh, issue. Uh, You can get that on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you want to skip to the end, Bill? What end? Of the show? That's the end of the show. The fastness of space. Our show. Going gets rough. You gave it your all, you showed the right stuff, you managed to not blow the ship to smithereens. That's why you're this week's MVC. You know what's very telling about the fact that this script was written in the way that it was is uh, Melinda Snodgrass uh, just wrote it on her own with no guidelines or or restrictions, and therefore it's very different than any of the other episodes that have come before. It's all a courtroom episode. There's really no B-plot, uh, unless you count the Philippa part, which is so minor, it's barely a B-plot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no crisis. It's very interesting, and it's completely compelling. Um, uh, so anyway, it's interesting to evaluate who the MVC is because the ship wasn't in danger. I guess you would say that the biggest danger is what happens to data. Mm-hmm. So it has to be Picard. Or is it Guinan? Because she... Well, that's, great. that's a great point. Gives him information. Although according to what you're saying, it wasn't even necessarily the slavery issue that wins the case so much as the, uh, the other stuff that Picard comes up with on his own. We wouldn't have gotten there though. He was dejected. That's he was true. not going to buy her dinner. <laughs> it's kind of selfish on his part. Well, that's true. 
Just buy the lady dinner and give her a little nookie to get your friend off the hook. Jeez, Picard. Uh, I would, I would, I would, I would have to give it to Picard. Yeah, I would have to give it to Picard too. Almost one hundred and fifty percent. I don't know. You want to cause more problems? Yes, for I Arrington? do. Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's my my answer is Jean Luc Picard. some other method of ranking we're working on it okay what do you say matt this is one of the all-time renowned episodes it's one people of, have been pointing toward it as yeah. like when we get this episode yeah then it's all gonna change um i don't know how accurate it is that it's all gonna change but it certainly is one of the better episodes and i have to firmly give this episode an eight it's always fascinating <laughs> to me it's just like you build it up, and then you always give it. You give it a, a, a by and large. You give me give it about a one point less than you think. A point it's less get. than I think. Yeah. It's, is that intended? No. My problem is with my rating scale. Yeah. Is I know what's out there. Right. I know that there are tens coming up. Yeah. And this is certainly very close. This is very close to a ten. This is this is a great episode of Star Trek. I maintain many of my problems with the episode, um, but I also counterbalance that with the uniqueness and inventiveness of the episode and the mm-hmm. fact that it's so on topic, so I also give it an 8. Wow. Andy, I'm very impressed with you also giving it an 8. Yeah. Um, what else do we have to do here? I have to play the the preview for next week's episode, right? If anybody wants to write us and complain about our Andy's rating or anything else you want, uh, you can... Do e- they ever. Email us at sttncpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can tweet us at Star Trek TNC. You can also Instagram communicate with us when I get off my butt and do something. Um, and if you want to leave us a voicemail... Um, excuse me. Don't die, buddy. Jesus. Hang in there. Um, it's at 816 Trek TNC. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. Whether or not I see Wesley is for me to decide. It is not. A mysterious princess is love struck with Wesley. Leave her alone. But a powerful guardian will kill to protect her secrets. What's going on? Just go, please. Has Wes uncovered a hidden terror that could endanger the Enterprise? Find out on Star Trek The Next Generation. So we all thought when we saw those snake creatures in the first season, that was the worst alien costume we'd ever seen. uh, I think that the, the Dauphin trailer really proves that it's just the beginning. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. Get ready for your bear bugs. Yeah, that one sounds like that's maybe a return to first season form. Is it ever? (laughs) Is it ever? Uh, Yeah. I mean, Andy, I think we had a great time. I think we managed to talk a lot about an episode that's very good. And I think that all your worries about whether or not we would have anything to talk about have been dissuaded. And uh, mostly by my... Orneriness? great ability to just keep everything going uh, just having a good time I'm not on the same page just with really this enjoying myself just, sort of just probably one of our best episodes ever you know I told him he should have one of the meatballs that are waiting for him before we started
I've just beamed aboard all the meatballs, Andy. Oh, nice. This is great. <laughs> just take a bite out of it. Oh, something went wrong. Mm, These aren't tasty. meatballs. Oh, gosh. What is this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, one of those creatures. <laughs> beam myself. Well, actually, I could scan it with a tricorder to figure out what it is. Hang on. I was afraid of this. It's a uh, chicken meatball. Well, that's why it's just slightly less satisfying. All right. Well, I'm going to go. I think a lot of my legal perspectives were very valid. And when I get a law by this engage, 